And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we'll be picking it up in verse 26. We're in the book of Luke, and the book of Luke is written to a guy by the name of Theophilus. Luke is Theophilus' friend, and he's telling him about Jesus. He's telling him the story of Jesus. And so we call it the Gospel of Luke because it's the story of Jesus from Luke's perspective. And it's telling us the good news about Jesus Christ. But the, the other perspective that we have to keep in mind is that Luke is speaking to Theophilus. He's talking to this guy who knows a little bit. He doesn't know everything. But the book of Luke is, 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 uh, really focuses on salvation. And it, it focuses on how salvation comes to us by an act of God. And it also talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so you'll see uh, those two themes this morning especially. And so I'm excited that you're here this morning to learn about the Bible and to understand what it says um, as we continue on here. And ultimately what Luke has wanted to say uh, to Theophilus is, uh, it says in chapter 1 verse 4, he says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And that's my hope for you this morning, that you would have certainty about the things that you have been taught. Um, maybe you've been taught incorrectly and that you'd have certainty about new things uh, that you need to be uh, taught about. But many of us in here, we're, uh, many of us in here are already believers, and there may not be certainty there. And so my hope for you this morning is that there would be a certainty that comes about in your life. We're going to pick it up in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 26 there, and I'm going to read through verse uh, 56, I believe, here. It says here, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now, I think I may have said something to this effect last week, but oftentimes when I'm reading in the book of Luke, I think to myself, yeah, these are the stories that you read uh, around Christmas time. And it's basically kind of a narrative and it, it's kind of, you don't really dig into it for meaning. At least I have not. I've never preached through the book of Luke much before I preached on various passages on Christmas. But I think that this passage is so incredibly important. And it's important because of this. It is a prototype of what it looks like to be saved. It's a prototype of, of what, that, what that looks like. It's not the only one in Scripture, but it is probably the most prominent pro prototype because we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus being born to this woman who is a virgin, and as a result, the salvation of the earth becomes possible. The salvation of God's people becomes possible in and through this act of, uh, of Jesus coming to earth. The incarnation is what we call it. And so let's, pick, let's go back. I'm really going to spend my time on verses 26 through 38, but I wanted to read the entire thing. And so it says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now what is Nazareth? Nazareth is a very small town, if you can call it that, that's in between two big towns. And so you have this very small town that no one really knows about, no one talks about, no one really cares about it. It would be a little bit like, uh, you know, Mill City or like Idana on the way to Bend. It'd be like those kinds of towns. My, my apologies if you're from there. Uh, but most of us only drive through there very infrequently and only on the way to somewhere else. But there are people who live there. There's people who live there. And so here it is. There's this, this town that has not a whole lot going on in it. And there's these people that live there. And they're probably not very well off. I don't know if you've driven through some of these smaller towns in between larger towns in, in Oregon. But oftentimes there's not a whole lot there. Not a lot of wealth. There's people that, that have been there for generations. They all know each other. Not a whole lot going on. And so she is from a small town, and I would call it a nothing town. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament or Josephus. Josephus is an ancient historian during this uh, time period, and he never mentions Nazareth. The only reason why we know about Nazareth uh, necessarily is because of Jesus, because he comes from there. But prior to this, nothing, nothing going on there. And so it says this, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so uh, Luke is telling Theophilus, he's, tell, he's unpacking this story, and he's telling him, hey, there's this tiny little town. It's a nothing town. And then there's this, there's this girl who's in the middle of this town. She's a, a virgin. She's a young girl. She's probably between the ages of 12 to 14. 
She uh, doesn't have a whole lot going on, doesn't have a whole lot of prospects. She's a poor girl. She's coming from a poor town. When I think of this, when I was reading on this and some commentaries and so forth, I think of uh, a young girl who's growing up in a mining town. I don't know if you know much about mining towns, if you've watched news stories, what have you, but there's just extreme poverty uh, a lot of times in those areas. And the young girls get pregnant early, and they marry some guy who may or may not be a good guy, and they just kind of go on with life. But look at the picture that Luke is setting up, that he's painting for Theophilus. A no-name town with a no-name girl who doesn't have a lot of prospects. It doesn't have a whole lot going on. There's just nothing there. There's not a whole lot there. And think about what, what Luke is telling Theophilus here. Mary is not some incredible saint like uh, Catholicism has tried to paint her to be. Now, she's an incredible woman. We should call her blessed, right? That's, that's, that's a true statement. But she's not some incredible saint who happened to fix herself up enough to where, uh, you know, there was like this American Idol type audition where she came in and said, you know, I can do a lot of things. I can make a lot of things happen in my life. I, I went to this school. I went, came from this family. I live in this neighborhood. I, I've done all of these things. And so, therefore, I should be considered as the, the virgin that's going to have uh, the Christ child. And so, would you consider me? No, this is a girl who, through no initiative of her own, is, is sitting here and is about to get uh, the most amazing news that she's ever heard in her life and she comes from a nothing town and she's a nothing girl and she doesn't have a whole lot going on for her and her prospects are not great she's probably just gonna grow up have a bunch of kids and be poor that's who this is and it says in verse 28 and he came to her that's gabriel he came to her and said greetings O favored one the lord is with you now, Gabriel, here again, has kind of scared the person that he's coming in. I seem to think that Gabriel likes to do this. He likes to pop into rooms, and he's just like, this is so great. Thank you, God, for giving me this opportunity. This is so fantastic. Like, pop into a room, greetings, you know, that, that, that kind of a thing. But then it says right after that, it says, but she was greatly troubled by the saying... She's not even scared of Gabriel. She's greatly troubled by the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so here she is. She's sitting there thinking like, you know, why would he say that? You know, why would he say that? <clears throat> I mean, is this sarcasm? Like, greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. Yeah, that kind of a thing. Is it, you know, is it uh, hyperbole? Greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. Like, she's trying to think about like, what does Gabriel mean when he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with me? I mean, is it a threat? The Lord's with you! That, that kind of thing. She doesn't know. She's sitting there pondering it. She's thinking about it. And she's just trying to think, like, what could this possibly mean? So here we have this nothing girl in this nothing town who actually is really considering the words that are being spoken to her. She's considering the words that are being spoken to her. And so she's saying, what is this? What kind of a greeting is this? Why would this come to me? And it says in verse 30, And the angel said to her, 
Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Look at that again. It's saying that there is favor with God. You shouldn't have fear because what you've found is grace with God. The word favor oftentimes uh, is, is, is uh, used for, for grace as well. So you have found grace with God. You found this favor. It's unmerited favor. And so he tries to calm her and says, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so here she is, she is in the middle of nowhere in nowhere town with no prospects and all of a sudden this angelic being Gabriel shows up and says you have favor with God and it's not just that he favors you it's that the Lord is with you that the Lord is with you and that means a lot because there's all of these Old Testament examples of the Lord was with them and they went and did great things for God. And then he says all of this stuff, this prophecy. Now, what should, could she possibly be thinking? Well, she's thinking, perhaps, about 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You don't need to turn there, but I'd ask that it goes up on the screen here. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, which says, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Now think about that for a second. We're, we're kind of uh, rewinding, going back to this King David, and God is saying to King David, hey, I took you out of nowhere. Think about this. God takes people out of nowhere, out of nothing town, nothing people, and he does something amazing with them. He says, I just want you to remember where you came from. I just want you to remember what it was like. Keep going here. I'm going to, oh, no, I'm going to keep going. Verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you went. The Lord is with you, Mary. David, I've been with you wherever you've gone. And I've cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Skip to verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up. Uh, up your offspring after you, who, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now th think about this. Mary's thinking about this. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That also was stated in this passage about Mary. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, Jesus doesn't commit iniquity, but he takes on our sin. So it is like he had done what we had done. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. Jesus took our stripes. Jesus was whipped. Verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now think about that for a second. Here's Mary. She's hearing from the angel Gabriel who says, the Son of God is going to be birthed in you. Like all of a sudden, she's, there's nothing going on in her life, and then all of a sudden, 
Gabriel comes and says these words that sound very much like 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is this prophecy about Jesus who is to come. And so Mary has to take all of this in. Mary has to take every bit of this in. Now, when you look at this, I said from the very beginning that this is, like a, this is a prototype of salvation. This is a prototype of how all of us are saved. you got to think about the fact that Mary, having come from nothing in and nowhere, that she has no distinguishing marks of any kind of, of a life that deserves to birth the Son of God. She has nothing in her life that would say that she should be somebody who should carry this child. There's nothing about her. And likewise, you and I, before we come to Christ, before we come to him, there's nothing about our life. There are no distinguishing marks. There is nothing about our pedigree. There's nothing about our schooling. There's nothing about the way that we live. There's nothing about our integrity. There's nothing about anything, the way that we treat other people. There is nothing. We come from a nothing town, and we are a nothing person, and we have nothing to give to him that he needs from us in order to do his thing. Because God could have chosen any woman in the world to do what he wanted to do. He could have chosen somebody who was high and mighty, someone who was in a palace, someone who was in this place, someone who was in that place. You know, oftentimes we get excited when somebody becomes a Christian who's in a high up place. I mean, Kanye is the, the latest one. Who It seems like Kanye West has become a Christian. Kanye West is a rapper. You don't know who he is. But oftentimes we might get a little too excited about that stuff. Now, I'm excited about Kanye. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. That's the only time that, that's ever come out of my mouth, by the way. <laughs> I bet you, you didn't walk in thinking like, Pastor Matt's going to say he loves Kanye, but I mean, that's a great thing. However, one of the things that we do oftentimes is we say, isn't it great that, I, I remember a long time ago, like Britney Spears was supposedly a Christian, and then we got uh, Justin Bieber, and we got, you know, who all these other people are, and sometimes Christians focus on these people, and they say, man, they're going to do the most good, but you know what? They don't hold a candle to the anonymity of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because she is nothing. And she's nowhere. And the beauty of this is that God, in his grace, in his unmerited favor, comes to this girl through Gabriel and says, Greetings, O favored one. Some of the translations say, Rejoice, for you are favored. He comes to this woman and he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Here she is, she has nothing to offer, and then all of a sudden, God like breaks into her world, breaks into her life. And I don't know about you, how you grew up in Christianity, if you did grow up in Christianity, or maybe you became a Christian uh, later on in life, or maybe you became a Christian just recently, whatever it was. But what happens is this, is that God breaks into our world through no desire of our own. God breaks into our world and he awakens us to the reality of this. Now we might say, no, I started to think about this. No, God broke into your world and caused you to start thinking about him. Caused you to start thinking about the idea of like, hey, I'm lost. 
I'm nowhere. I don't have anything to offer. I, I need this God. That desire does not come from anywhere except from a favored one. Somebody who is God has shown his specific grace to. Luke is telling Theophilus, he's saying, Theophilus, salvation comes from God, and it came from God in Mary's life through no desire of her own. Now, she may have had desires to serve God. She's obviously a Jew. She's of this family of David and so forth. However, God is the one who chose her to carry the Christ child, and it is very much like you and I. You and I do not have control over how and when we come to Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I want Christ. I want salvation in my life. I want to become a Christian. You cannot have that desire without God having, having given to you, implanted in you, inputted into your life a desire for his grace. He has graced you with the desire to have his grace. He has given that to you. Salvation is of the Lord. We see that in the life of Mary. And so Gabriel tells her all this, these long phrases from verse 30 to verse 33 in Luke. And all of a sudden, she's beginning to remember, to understand the things that she's heard in the temple. She very likely knew this prophecy. And so what we can say is this, is that, Mary, did you know? Yeah, she did know. She did. She actually did. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, if you remember from last week, like uh, Zechariah, Zechariah, Said he, he said something along the same lines, where he was like, I, this seems impossible, that kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, Gabriel says, I come from God. I stand in his presence. He sent me to talk to you, and now you're going to be mute. You will not be able to speak because you did not believe. But what's happening here is this, is that Mary isn't, coming from a place of unbelief. She's coming from a place of belief. She just doesn't understand how it's going to be possible without a man, how the biology is going to come together. But what she's saying is she's saying, there is, there is an impossibility here that of my own accord, without a man in my life, without these things being in place, th this seems impossible. And oftentimes when, when we begin to get this inkling of, like, I want to serve and follow Jesus, or I want to be saved, I need salvation, I need God in my life, there's a statement of impossibility there because you look at your life and you say, man, that's incongruent with who God is. I see where I'm at. I see where my sin is. I see how I've been, and it seems impossible that I could birth Christ on any level. It seems impossible that I could live the life that God would have me live. It seems impossible. It seems impossible that I could give, ever get a handle on my budget to the point where I'd be a, a, ever be able to be generous with God or other people. It seems impossible for me to lead my kids when I can barely lead myself. 
It seems impossible to make it to church when I need to work all of the time. It seems impossible to find time to pray. It seems impossible to ever be free of my addictions. How can God save me? It seems impossible that God will be able to save me from where I'm at today. Like, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know where I've been. And some of you have come to Jesus, and you've never gotten over it. You've never gotten over what God has for you, or, or what you've done, I should say. You've never gotten over it. You've, you, you've lived your Christian life in this way that says, I just want to try to do more good than bad. You're living like you live by, uh, by karma. I want to do more good than bad, and hopefully God will save me. Hopefully God will take me in the end. He'll let me into eternity forever. And the problem is, you've never believed this idea that God is the God of working out the impossible. God is the God who prophesied way back when to David to say, in your line, in your family, is going to be the Savior. In, your, in, in this time period, and this is what I'm going to do. God is the God of impossible, and yet you come to God, and you've received Jesus, sort of, and yet you can't let it go. Or, you can't let other people go. You can't let someone else off the hook. How can I forgive? It's a statement of impossibility. How can I ever get my life right? How could I, how could I, how could I? And the answer is, well, you can't. You can't. You can't do it. You can't get your life fixed up enough for God to use you. Because on the day that you think that you're usable by God is your least usable day. The day that you think that you've got your stuff together enough that God's able to use you is the day of, of your largest prideful moment. You can't do it. You can't. How will this be since I am a virgin, she says. And the thing about Mary is that she's listening. It's pretty awesome that Luke uses his first two examples of great faith as Elizabeth and now Mary. Here are these, these women who are showing these men up. Verse 35, and the angel answered her. Oh, it's simple. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. Uh, the, uh, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, just think about that. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. The biology of that doesn't work out. Like, how is that going to happen? And Gabriel just very simply says that the Holy Spirit's going to do it. The Holy Spirit is going, is going to make this happen in your life. And that's my answer to you as well. How can I, how can I, how can I? Well, you can't, but he can and he will in your life. He will. Because you must be born again. I referenced this, I think, maybe even last week. Nicodemus, the religious leader who comes to Jesus at night because he's scared. And he says, how can I enter the kingdom of God? I know that you're, I know, we know that you're from God. How can, how can I get in? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he says, 
how am I going to be birthed a second time from my mom? Like, this is, this is weird. And Jesus says, you can't, but the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit does whatever it wants. It is not dependent upon you and on your willpower and on anything that you have. And so how does God save people who have no desire to be saved? They go from having no desire to be saved to a desire to be saved. Think about the person that you never thought would be saved. People are saying this about, about Kanye as well. And the time will tell what, what's happened there. But how does that take place? It takes place by the power of the Spirit of God. I talk to people all the time who say, I, I know that I should, but I don't want to. And here's the beauty of it is that you don't have to want to. You have to want to want to want to want to want to. And you just have to say, God, help me want to. And the Spirit of God is the one that does that. There's a statement of impossibility like, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? And God says, I'm going to do it in your life. I'm going to make it happen in your heart. I'm going to change your desires. And I'm still gracious enough even when you screw up between now and then. I'm gr I, my grace is sufficient for you in the midst of your sinfulness. And every time you fail in that sin, it's another opportunity to glory in the fact that I saved you. Yes, from even that sin. Yes, from even that sin. Yes, from even that sin. And so sin, while we shouldn't just continue to sin so that God can be gracious, is also a great time to rejoice. Because I get to glory in the fact that God has saved me by the power of the Holy Spirit and that he's going to continue to do so. The Holy Spirit's going to come on upon you, and he's going to do it. And this guy who's going to be in your belly is holy, the Son of God. Think about the implications of that. When you become a, be a believer in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink. Of one spirit we come to God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in and seals us for God. He is the one who comes in and brings about the life of Christ in us. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit is the one who brings about the life of Christ in our life. Just like in Mary's life, the Spirit is the one who brings about the life of Christ. It is a model of salvation. Verse 36 and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, it is, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Those words echo some words out of Genesis 18 that say, is anything too hard for the Lord? In another situation where someone was barren and God brought about a child and that life. And God is saying to Mary, I've been doing this forever. I've been doing this since the beginning of time. This is not a big deal for me. And here's Mary. She hears it. She knows the Bible. She knows the, the Old Testament, at least the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Sorry to use big words. She knows this stuff. And she says, is, for nothing will be impossible with God. And maybe what's ringing in her ears is, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is, no. This is God that we're talking about. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of David. The God of all of these people. 
that he has prophesied and prophesied and prophesied about. He's the creator God. He is this one. Is anything impossible for that God? And yet you and I sit around saying our statements of impossibility. Man, I don't know that he could ever forgive me. Man, I don't know that I could ever change. Man, I don't know that I could ever be faithful. I don't know that I could ever. And this is the God that we're talking about. Is anything too impossible for him? No. Is anything too hard for him? No. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that you are interested in right now. And you may be sitting on the sidelines and you're just going, I don't know that God can change me. I don't know that I can change me. And you can't. God can through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible for him. And here's the clincher right here, verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Just stop right there for a second. Behold, I am underneath God. God is over me. God rules over me. He's the creator God. He's the God who has prophesied over and over again that this will happen and this will happen, and it has happened. He is that God. And behold, when I look at those things and I see those facts of history, when I see this scripture, when I see this stuff, the thing that I have to do is I have to put myself under the word of God. Like, it is not me over the word and saying, you know, I wonder what it has to say to me. I wonder, I wonder what... What, what I'm, what I'm going to like about this. I wonder what, what, I, what I think is going to be good about this. And the truth is that the word is over me. The word of God is on top of me. The word of God uh, rules me. The word of God is the authority. And what does she say? She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I am underneath the Lord. I am subservient to him. I live in submission to him. Look at her song that she wrote. It was like a musical. I don't know if you got that, but that's a song. It's called The Magnificat. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty and has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. This is the heart of Mary coming out in these few words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord I am underneath him. I am nothing, and he is everything. I am that, and the only way that I am going to get anywhere is with God. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, here's the thing about unbelief. Unbelief is always putting more faith in what I say than over what God says. Unbelief is looking at the words of God and saying, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you can make this change in my life. But Mary is not a saint. She was not perfect. She had original sin, just like all of us. And yet what Mary had was this. Mary had faith. 
Sorry, I was broken. Mary had a little lamb, but she, she had faith, okay? So she had faith. Then she had the Son of God, so she did have a lamb, but we'll just, you know, just totally derailed my own sermon. How does, how does this happen? They, they, do, they don't teach you this in college, and I didn't go to college, so that's, that's, that's maybe I should have or something like that. Maybe they do. I wouldn't know. All right, anyway. All right. Here's Mary. She says, let it be to me according to your word. Let that be true in my life. God, you say it. I believe it. I want it to be true in me. And the question of salvation is this. I know you can't. I know you continue to struggle. I know that you're nowhere near where you need to be before the Christ child comes into your life. I know that you don't have what it takes. I know that nothing, but I'm going to do it in you. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. That is the humble faith of a 13-year-old girl who says, if you say it, God, if you say it, okay. So i got to ask you, what's your faith like? What are you stuck on? What's, what do you, what's the sticking point? What's the area that you can't, you can't trust God? You just can't trust him with this. Let it be to me according to your word. See, we, we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And then we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, which is what the Apostle Paul says. And that salvation is worked out in every area of our life. So when it comes to our finances, what we get to say is, let it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word by the power of your spirit. And it is to focus on that area and, and it is to look for the the seeds of unbelief that have been planted long ago. Like, I can't trust God with my finances because things will fall apart if I do. I have to be in control of this. And here's the thing, is that your wallet, your finances, your massive debts, the things that you have going on in your life in that area, simply just point to the reality of, like, Jesus is not your savior and your king in that area. You are not saying, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. You're saying, God, I want you to serve me. Let it be according to my word. Let it be according to what I want. And we do that by just, in even holy ways or pious ways, saying, God, I just want you to give me this and I want you to give me that. And God is saying, I, you are not my servant in this area. You have not listened to my word. And men and women, every single one of us in this room has some area like that. Every single one of us has an area in our life 
where we are not saying, I'm the servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. It's God, you serve me, and I listen to me over you. And it's money, sex, and power. And it's in my friendships, and it's in my family, and it's in my relationship with my wife or my spouse. It's in the jobs that I have. It's in the way that I am spiritually leading in my home. It's in the way that I'm desiring God. It's in the, it's in the way of, that I do everything in, in my life. And on some level or another, God is coming to us, a, no, a nothing person in a nothing town who brings nothing to the table. And he says, I'm not expecting you to bring it. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And our responsibility in any area of life, and especially in this, like if you have, you don't know what it means to, to give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never done it. You've been coming to church now for a while, and you, you just, you're just coming. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm cool with this guy, Jesus. But there's never been this moment in your life where you just flat out say, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. And if you say that you could save this nothing person in this nothing town with nothing to offer by your power, let it be to me according to your word. Have you? You're, you're, you're toying with eternity. You just put it off. You're toying with eternity. You're toying with the reality that God will hold you accountable. God will hold you accountable for where you've been and what you've done. And life apart from God forever is hell, literally. Life with God for eternity is heaven. It's the kingdom of God forever. Living in relationship with Jesus Christ forever. The greatest pleasures that you think that you have known here will be multiplied by billions with God. Have you said to God, and more than just said, but from your heart believed, I am your servant. I am under you as creator. Let it be to me according to your word. You must do it. You must. I implore you, and I implore you to tell someone today. Write it on a connect card. Come talk to me after service. Tell your community group. Tell someone today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for those hearts that are hardened toward, towards your work. Lord, I, I would imagine that all of us have areas of our life that are hardened towards your work. Or some of us have become stale Christians. We lack any kind of movement or growth. And it's because we believe that we've arrived. And in some ways, we're not really your servants. We're not under your word. We think we got it figured out. And so, Lord, convict us of our pride, arrogance, and whatever else. Lord, humble us. Lord, I, I deeply pray for those that have never given their lives to you. Lord, I pray that they would experience your unmerited favor coming out of the blue, awakening them to this reality today, and Lord, that they would receive you by faith. Lord, may you do an amazing work in their lives today, right here, right now. May they experience it 
by the power of your spirit. They don't need to manufacture it. They just need to ask for it. God, do it. Do it in their life. Lord, awaken them. In your name we pray. Amen.